You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Hi, welcome to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny. I'm an ordained Lutheran pastor, but I never give up anything for Lent. And I'm Josh, and I'm an audio guy, and for Lent, instead of giving something up, I'm going to do something important. I'm going to be more outspoken and express myself more. I look forward to hearing your opinions, which you have kept to yourself so far. Right. This week on the podcast, we are talking about the season of Lent, so stay tuned. You're going to learn something. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. Josh, what are you drinking on this fine afternoon? Well, today I am drinking a Swarm. It's a golden ale from Exile Brewing in Iowa, and it supports the University of Iowa's name image likeness for sports. So like proceeds from this, some of it goes to the swarm fund that the name image likeness for the college does. So basically college athletes can actually get money. Hmm. So, you know, they're making all that money for the schools. Interesting. Very cool. It's a, it's a little hoppy for, you know, it's a golden ale. It's got that little bit of hops to it. So I'm not usually a pale ale drinker. So it's still pretty good. I would recommend it. What about yourself? What are you drinking today? I am drinking a maple brown ale. Uh, from a local brewery. It is, I don't know, I like we're not recording this in the fall, but it feels like a fall kind of beer. Like it's got that sort mm. of like toasty, earthy kind of vibe to it. It's very good. I like that. Okay, so today we are talking about Lent. Let's talk about Lent, baby. Like how I, I set you up for that. Like, Thank was, you. I'm really g- glad you got what I was putting down, picking up what I was putting down. Thank you. Thank you. This is this is why I value our friendship. <laughs> Set each other up for positives, yeah. sometimes for failures, for but only in video games. Mostly just for success. Yeah. Since we are, this episode will be coming out just not too long before Ash Wednesday, which is the start of Lent. Uh, and I always, every year, get questions about like, why do we do Lent and why do we do the things that we do and like whose idea was it? So we're going to dive into some of those questions. I don't have the answers to all of those questions, but hopefully we'll all learn something and uh, yeah, be be ready to go when Lent starts. I like it. Um, And so starting off, I think the big question and the thing that you see a lot growing up, my church didn't participate but as I switched denominations, um, they started doing Ash Wednesday. So I've always been a little confused on it. Like, just because, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out a way to explain it that it, it just feels weird to me. And I know I say that a lot. Well, there, a lot of things in the church are weird, so that's fair. Uh, the thing I find funny about Ash Wednesday is at least in my denomination, in the ELCA, uh, we always read the same scripture on Ash Wednesday, and it's Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, like, when you pray, you should pray privately, like, don't go out on the street corner and, like, make a big deal of it so people notice you. And we, we read this on the day 
when we put ashes on people's foreheads and it is probably the one day of the year that they most visibly wear their faith out in public. And I'm like, why? Why do we pair this text with this practice? It feels so weird to me. Well, just the fact, too, that it says about the praying, but then um, also in Matthew 6, when you fast, don't put on a sad face like the hypocrites that make their faces look sad to show people they are fasting. Right. Yeah. Like wash your face. And yeah, exactly. And so that's always been kind of, I don't want to say self-righteous, but it always just kind of feels like, oh, sometimes you meet people that are like, oh, look how good I am. I have the ashes, the ashen cross on my head. Yeah, but you were just an asshole to that barista. Like, what does that say? Not based on real events. No, no, I haven't ever experienced that before. <laughs> I feel like this is a lot of the kind of questions and wondering that people have about Lent and Ash Wednesday kind of gets to some of these things of maybe you have experienced these practices in your church tradition. Uh, maybe you haven't and you've seen other people and it's just like, where is this coming from? Why do we do it? What's the significance? And uh, yeah, there's sort of a lot there. So I was, you know, researching Lent and Ash Wednesday to actually be able to have a conversation with you instead of just story time with Pastor Jenny. Um, and I was like, where is, you know, where does this lead from in the Bible? And I was just like, wow, this is really hard to find. <laughs> yeah, right. Some might say impossible. Yeah, so I want to talk about that because there are some like biblical roots for Lent, but it's not a direct, like nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, you should observe these days before Easter and this is what you should do and we're going to call it Lent. Like that's not biblical. But before we get to the kind of scripture part, maybe um, I'll just do quick like terminology just so we're all on the same page. So Lent is the word that we use to refer to the season prior to Easter. And because Easter moves around in the calendar a little bit, and we'll talk about why that is, that means that Lent also moves around a little bit. So it's always in the the like early spring, kind of late winter. This year, Ash Wednesday is on February 14th, also known as Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Bummer. Ghostbusters too. Take, take your date to church and be reminded of your mortality. It'll be really romantic. Mortality and that we're all sinners. Yeah, and all that good yeah. shit. Depending on kind of how you calculate it, the, the traditional version is that Lent is 40 days. And we're going to talk more about that as well. But it's this season um, that leads up to uh, Holy Week, which are the days leading up to then Easter, which is the like big celebration of the resurrection. And uh, a couple other terms, we have already talked about Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is the traditional start of the season of Lent. As the name suggests, it is on a Wednesday. And so it's calculated based on, okay, whenever Easter is, count back this many weeks, and then that Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And uh, the day before Ash Wednesday, which would be like the last day before Lent starts, depending on sort of what part of particularly European Christianity you trace your roots back to, that day before Ash Wednesday is sometimes called Shrove Tuesday or Mardi Gras, uh, which means Fat Tuesday uh, in French. So the whole like 
Mardi Gras and like the celebratory aspect of it, which I think is a big part of like how we understand like New Orleans culture, big on Mardi Gras. That is actually rooted in a Christian festival, which is this is the last day before Lent starts and you're about to spend, you know, six, seven weeks not eating meat and not eating sweet things and not eating fatty things. And so you have to like enjoy all that shit and like use it all up on Mardi Gras before Lent starts the next day. Mm, I always remember um, the church that I went to in college and after that, because I was still in the area, um, I haven't been as regular of a goer as I should be, but I do watch Jenny's services, so I'm counting that as a win. But they always did the pancake breakfast on Fat Tuesday. Oh man, that was like, right. it made a Tuesday right. one of the best days of the week. Uh, yeah, and I don't, I don't know for sure, but at least in my mind, I kind of associate that like Shrove Tuesday, like pancake supper or whatever. That's like very German in my like cultural understanding. I don't think the Germans are the only ones that have done that. But it's the same idea, right? Especially... If you think back to, you know, pre-refrigeration, pre-electricity, if you didn't eat this stuff and you weren't going to eat it for the season of Lent, it was going to spoil. So you like, you really did have to kind of clean out the pantry um, of all these things that you were not going to enjoy for the season of Lent. Um, and then, of course, that is a great excuse to have a big meal and spend time with other people and kind of make a make a party out of it. And then, yeah, then we start some people, I'm not going to say we, cause I don't, cause I'm a bad person. Then we start the fasting. Then we start like, Hey, you, you got to eat this or you can't eat meat on Fridays, which as a Missouri Senate Lutheran growing up, I'm ELC now, but as a Missouri Senate, like that was like the best it was during Lent because, you know, I'd always go to like the real Catholic people. I would always go to them in the lunchroom in high school and I'd be like, you're Catholic, right? And they'd be like, well, yeah. And so I would just steal like the sausage patty or the burger or whatever. <laughs> like really dramatic to like stab the fork and like, okay. Just just Josh doing liturgical bullying. <laughs> I was being helpful and relieving them of temptation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was your motive. Yeah. It wasn't that, you know, I was in how many sports and worked on a farm and I was always hungry. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that, too, because fasting has definitely been associated with Lent for a long time. And like the ways that people fast and the reasons why people fast um, have, I think, evolved and changed over time. And some of that is kind of personal. So we'll yeah, we'll get into that as well. Is there any other like vocabulary relating to Lent mm. that you feel like we should talk about? I don't think so without getting in like super deep about the like stations of the cross without, but that's more of an Easter, I think leading, it's all leading up to it, but yeah. Yeah. I think that can, is a future issue. Yeah. That's future Jenny and Josh's problem. Love it. Love it. <laughs> um, I will say uh, the word Lent, we can trace back. I think I would have assumed it was Latin, but it's not actually a Latin word. It actually comes from Old English. And the Old English word uh, lengten means the spring season. So it it was originally just like, oh, yeah, that time of year uh, that gave the the term for what we know as Lent, which is interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. This is, it does hit right as the snow starts melting, at least where I'm from into, you know, it depends on the year, but it seems like straight in the summer, but it's supposed to be in the spring, but seasons are a myth anymore. Yeah. Climate change is taking away seasons. I don't, that's not real. Shosh, don't joke about that. <laughs> People will think you're serious. I am not serious. I am actually a very big, like, it's, it's pretty there. The science is there. It's, I don't understand how this is a debate. Just, it's, in the Midwest, it's end of January and it's already 50 degrees outside. Yeah. Like the snowstorm that we had is already basically melting away like this is not normal right that is also a subject for future josh and future jenny yeah and that's gonna piss off future listeners <laughs> lent comes from old english the other sort of like language groups like the um, greek languages and the languages that derive from latin mostly refer to lent uh with a like derivation of the word for 40th because you have 40 days of Lent. So um, I guess in Latin, I did not know this. I had to look this up. But in Latin, the word is quadragesima, quadragesima, meaning 40th. So that's just kind of like, this is how long the season lasts. That's the word we're going to use. Let's talk about the Bible, because that's what we do on this podcast. That old chestnut. Allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. <laughs> and since... You know, as we discussed earlier, Ash Wednesday and Lent have no mention in the Bible. That was our episode, so we want to thank everybody for listening. <laughs> Josh, I appreciate your optimism that I would not still have something to say about this. Because, of course, I still have something to say about this. I was going to say earlier, since this is uh, it's about Lent, we have to keep this episode under 40 minutes. Mostly because I'm lazy and I don't want to edit. It's not going to happen, my dude. <laughs> But that, you know, keep telling yourself that. Okay, so a couple of things, as I already said, like Lent per se is not in the Bible. But two things that are in the Bible that definitely influence how we think about the season of Lent are the concept of fasting shows up a lot in the Bible. And then this idea of like a 40 day period. And so when you put those two together, that is basically the description of the season of Lent. And uh, both of those elements do show up in scripture. So obviously, you know, lots of parts of the Bible have this uh, concept of fasting. And fasting is usually associated either with sort of purification, that it would be kind of like a cleansing thing, maybe a preparatory thing, like you're preparing for something important. And so you're going to fast first. And, and that that would then kind of maybe focus your mind and your attention and kind of get you ready for something sacred or important. And then the other big uh, connection with fasting is with repentance. So if you have messed up and you want to acknowledge your fault or your shortcoming or whatever, um, especially in the Hebrew Bible, you see people you know, repent in dust and ashes, and often there is fasting associated with that as well. So we see that, for example, in Jonah. I love bringing up Jonah. After he finally gets to Nineveh and preaches there, the, the king in Nineveh declares a fast, and everyone fasts, including the cattle, which is wild. 
but that is a like repentance kind of fasting like okay we're gonna deprive ourselves to a certain extent at as an acknowledgement that we're sorry and we're making we're trying to make amends we're trying to make change um if you want to hear more about the story of jonah listen to our previous episode right why jonah is the funniest book in the bible right i think that was episode three it was early it was three or four yeah i'm trying to remember but so i've always i still like i don't comprehend the fasting part like i get it's a sign of repentance but like but why Mm-hmm. I don't understand how that makes you more sorry for your sins and more, hey, I'm, it's just, it's a way of punishing yourself, it feels like, in this context. And I, I do think it's really important to name, especially, like, in this day and age where we have a greater understanding of some mental illnesses and things like that, like, there are definitely forms of fasting that are very unhealthy. And I think it's it's really easy if we don't talk about this thoughtfully. Um, for example, for a, a Lenten fast to feed right into something like an eating disorder or that kind of thing. And that is not the intent, right? So if fasting is detrimental to your well-being uh, for whatever reason, don't fast, right? That is, that is not the point. The point is not to, to harm yourself or to, you know, detract from your overall well-being. Um, and I think, I think it's fair to ask, you know, why do we fast? Why do we give things up? I think in the ancient world, part of it is that sort of intentionality, right? If I am intentional about not doing something for a period of time, then maybe that's going to help me to focus more on something else, right? So because I'm being intentional during this season of fasting, I'm going to focus more on God or I'm going to focus more on whatever it is. And I think part of it is also Christianity has had a weird relationship with suffering that sometimes it's like, the more miserable you are, like, the better your faith will be, which I don't think necessarily holds. I say, I, I think we've flat out said before that that's bullshit. Yeah, it, it can definitely be incredibly toxic if you kind of take that to its logical conclusion. But I, I do think that's, that is some of why fasting has been important in religious traditions, is this idea of putting aside or, or, putting lower your own kind of physical pleasures or comforts or whatever um, in service of something more sacred or more important or whatever it might be. I just think we have to really be thoughtful about that. And so, you know, if people come to me and say, like, Pastor, what should I give up for Lent? Or is do I have to give something up for Lent or how should I go about giving up something for Lent? It's such an individual question, right? If setting something aside is going to help you focus more on prayer or your relationship with God or, you know, reaching out to your community, awesome, right? If it's helping you in this kind of positive spiritual practice, that's great. It shouldn't be something that's harming you, like your physical health, your mental health. 
But the other thing I see, honestly, is I think sometimes Christians use Lent as like New Year's resolutions 2.0, right? That like I said back in January that I was going to start going to the gym and like be really healthy and like that lasted a week. And so now it's Lent and I'm going to do it for real this time. And it's like, if that's how you're going into it, I don't think that's really what Lent is about, right? Lent is not a self-improvement hour. It should be more of a spiritual practice. And if that works for you, then awesome. Um, But if you're just like, I'm going to use this as like an excuse to motivate some, you know, ultimately sort of self-serving goal, well, that's not really what Lent's about. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just not really the point. I'm glad that you mentioned something about like the New Year's resolution, because that's kind of what it feels like to some people. But also that, from my understanding, you don't have to give something up. You can, like, I'm going to do this every day. Right. So, basically, one year for Lent um, is when I was in school with our, our mutual friend, Ryan. He was, I don't remember what he was giving up. And he's like, well, are you going to give something up? And I was like, yeah, I'm going to give up not doing a good deed every day. And he's like, you can just do a good deed. I was like, no, I got to give it up. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, if that works for you, awesome. Like, go for it. And, And I think it's sort of a question, and this is why I say it's personal. It's a question of, like, what are your intentions? Like, what are you trying to achieve? If your intention is... You know, I think I have an unhealthy relationship to caffeine that I need to address. That's, like, good. Like, do that. But that doesn't have to be Lent. You could do that anytime. You know, so again, like, if it is sort of just a self-improvement thing, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You can absolutely do that. But I think when we talk about Lent in its, you know, ideal form... It is more about a spiritual kind of growth or a spiritual discipline. So think about something that is going to help you be more connected to God. And maybe that means, hey, I'm going to take a fast from social media. Social media, that doom scrolling is not healthy for me. And if I take that out of my day, I'm going to be able to focus on things that are more important and more meaningful. It can also mean, like Josh said, taking something on. I love the idea of taking on a Lenten practice. And that could be, I'm going to, you know, start my day every morning. I'm going to pray. And that, you know, you can do that in 30 seconds. You can do that in a minute or five minutes. It doesn't have to be a a huge burden. Or I'm going to take some time and read the Bible. Um... These are these are great ways to sort of refocus your attention and your energy um, because we know like this is in scripture. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So it's like the things that we invest in are where our attention goes and where our heart goes and where our focus goes. And then certainly also like modern understandings of, you know, how our brains work. Yeah, the things that you pay attention to are the things that are going to continue to form you and shape you. So, you know, think about where your attention is and do you want to make a shift? There are also a lot of people, Lent, traditionally, you would have fasting, but also almsgiving. 
So almsgiving is kind of like an old fashioned way of saying like giving to the poor, giving to the hungry or the needy in some way. And so some people do that for Lent where they'll say, rather than me giving up chocolate, I am going to every day I'm going to put some, um, you know, canned goods in a box. And at the end of Lent, I'm going to take all those canned goods to a food pantry. So you are setting an intention, which is, you know, maybe good for your own spiritual health. But then the end result of it is that you are giving something to someone else. And that can also be a really good way of kind of doing Lent. It's a great opportunity for you to, one, deepen your relationship with religion and God and all that. But it is a time that you can also use it for self-improvement while you're working to better all that. So like that one year, I so like I was doing something nice for somebody or anything. So I would hold a door open for someone or pick up a piece of trash or something like that. And it was just that moment like, okay, do these things like this is... It's a good thing. It One, it's for the religious aspect, and two, it's just you can make yourself a better person and be a better witness. Do it, right? Just be better. But seriously, like, if you set an intention and you set a habit and you're able to maintain that for 40 days, you've probably set yourself up pretty well to continue that habit um, after Lent ends. And if you don't, that's okay, right? Like, as a, as a recovering perfectionist, I know the pain of like, well, if I miss one day, then the whole endeavor is ruined. I might as well have never done it. And we've got to like have a little grace for ourselves and know that there is a lot of grace from God that like, yeah, of course, we're not going to be perfect. Of course, we're going to miss a day. It is okay. I think that's a really good summation of Lent. Have some grace for yourself, but in that, reflect on the greater grace we get from God, get from God. Like that is, that's a, to me, that's a perfect, like that's Lent in a, in a nutshell. Yeah. And, and that I think is really what Lent is about is that it should be returning our attention and returning our focus to, yeah, this is who God is. It's not about, oh my gosh, can I like achieve a perfect score at Lent? And then like, I'm going to be a good Christian it's realizing, yeah, of course we fall short. Of course we're imperfect. And God is gracious and merciful, right? That we we are still accepted and embraced um, in spite of our imperfection or because of our imperfection, right? Like, I think that's a really good thing. Um, I did want to talk about this uh, this idea of 40, of 40 days. Um, the number 40 in the Bible is uh, very, it, it's symbolic, and so it comes up in a lot of places, right? You have Noah and the ark, and it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. You have the people wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus goes into the wilderness right after his baptism, and is tempted, uh, and he fasts for 40 days, which is echoing events in the Hebrew Bible where Moses also had a period of fasting for 40 days, and Elijah had a period of fasting for 40 days. And so when Jesus does it, it's clearly meant to remind us of those great prophets uh, from the Hebrew Bible. Then when you get to uh, the transfiguration story, 
who shows up on the mountain with Jesus, it's Moses and Elijah. So there are these kind of links being uh, drawn back uh, to the great prophets. Um, so I want to ask about the fasting um, because it's like they fasted for 40 days. Like that's not humanly possible. We can't. So I'm just wondering if it's kind of like a reflection, sort of like the Muslims have Ramadan where they don't eat during the day. It has to be between um, sunset and sunrise. Like you have that nighttime. Is that yeah. kind of the classic or more traditional view on it? Or? Uh, yeah, I think there are a couple of interpretations. So one interpretation would be that Jesus literally did not eat or drink for 40 days, which would not be possible for a human being. But Jesus is the son of God. And, you know, the Bible says that impossible things happen with God's intervention. So that's one interpretation, right? Literally no food or water for 40 days. Another interpretation would be sort of like a partial fast, if you think about it that way. So Muslims during Ramadan, just like you said, they fast for the whole day, but then they break their fast in the evening. And if you ever have a chance, if you are able to make uh, friends with a Muslim person and be invited to that meal that they have when they break their fast. It's some of the best food I've ever had in my life. They really, really know how to how to break a fast. So that's an example. Um, and also, I think it's just tangentially, but I think it's worth noting um, that in Islam, there are exceptions made. If it would be detrimental to your health to fast, you are not supposed to fast. Um, so there's there's an understanding that not everyone is is going to be physically able to do that. Or another possibility of kind of a partial fast would be, and this was this was sort of a practice in like European Christianity in the Middle Ages, would be you're fasting from everything except, right? So it's like bread and water or, you know, bread and water and vegetables, like that you have this very limited diet. Uh, that constitutes your fast, but you're not actually going without any caloric intake uh, for an extended period of time. So that's another way of understanding it. That makes more sense because, yeah, like you said, Moses and Elijah, they fasted. Those were humans. They wouldn't have that son of God aspect in their yeah. stories. We talk about these examples where the number 40 comes up in scripture. And 40 is is kind of a symbolic way of saying a lot, right? So, you know, in scripture, there are numbers that have significance. Seven, the number of days of the week. 12, there are 12 tribes, there are 12 disciples. And 40 is kind of a way of saying like a lot, so when uh, Genesis says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, that's less about, okay, you could count out the days on the calendar and more about saying, imagine if it rained for more than a month straight. It sounds a little more eloquent. Yeah. Right. And I think, but I think we can all kind of relate to that of like, oh my gosh, in some parts of the world, it probably does rain for 40 days straight, but I've lived in more arid climates, so imagine if it rained for 40 days straight. Oh my gosh, that's so much. <laughs> that is a mood right there. Right? Or uh, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, part of what's being said there is that it's a full generation, because all of the Israelites who left Egypt 
they don't get to see the promised land. It's their children who get to see the promised land. So it's partly like this was a full generation that passed, but it's also just a way of saying like they were in the wilderness for a long ass time. Likewise, with Jesus fasting for 40 days, it's it's not so much about like you can mark it on a calendar. It's not the precision of the number. It's sort of the scale of the number of like, this is a long time. Yeah, because saying, cause saying like, oh, you know, it, it was like over a month. No, it rained for 40 days. Like that, it does. It's it's shocking like how much different the same period of time hits. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to note that, so this idea of Jesus fasting in the wilderness is in the synoptic gospels. So that's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the odd one out. Um, John does his own thing in telling the story of Jesus. But in the other three gospels, it's what happens immediately after Jesus is baptized. So John the Baptist is out at the river He's preaching, he's baptizing people, he's cussing out, you know, religious authorities. And Jesus comes to him and says, I want you to baptize me. And John does. And depending on which gospel you're reading, the details are a little bit different. But it, they all mention the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. It was seen in the form of a dove. You have the divine voice, you know, kind of breaking out from the heavens and saying, this is my son. And then the spirit drives Jesus into the wilderness. So there's this this kind of like, I don't know, almost like out of control element to it that Jesus is driven out. He doesn't like say, oh, hey, guys, I'm going to stroll out into the wilderness for a month. I'll see you later. He is driven into the wilderness by the spirit. And that in in some way, this is necessary. He needs this season of fasting, this season of temptation, this season of deprivation before he really begins his public ministry. So then after the fasting, he's going to come back and he's going to start preaching and teaching and traveling and healing the sick and all of that stuff. And so it's it's very clear that the story of Jesus fasting kind of became the inspiration for Christians to do the same, right? That we, as Christians, we said like, well, if Jesus went out and fasted, that's probably something we should do as well. We should emulate Jesus in that way. And so fasting as a Christian practice definitely goes back to the early church. Like the very earliest Christians saw this as kind of a spiritual discipline or a spiritual practice that was worth engaging in. The The idea of it being specifically the season leading up to Easter, that concept kind of came around later. Obviously, Christians can fast at any time of year, right? Nobody says you can only fast during Lent. So that part of the tradition kind of developed later. In some really early Christian documents, there's a document called the Didache, which maybe we'll talk about at some point. I don't know. But the Didache is early, early, early church. And it talks about fasting in preparation for baptism. So people who were becoming Christian and who had gone through this like period of instruction 
and then they were about to be baptized, that they were kind of encouraged to fast before their baptism, along with perhaps their community, right? That maybe everybody in that congregation, that particular church, would fast in preparation for a baptism. And it is true that, like, some early Christians would practice, like, you would baptize people on Easter, but that wasn't the only time, right? So if you were baptizing someone on Easter, then you would be fasting in the days leading up to Easter, but it wasn't like that was the only time they did it. So it was also other times of the year. Interesting. Yeah, so um, I did a little bit of research just into kind of when these things were established. And like I said, the, the concept of fasting goes back to the early Christians and certainly goes back to the Hebrew Bible and to the Jewish faith, which predated Christianity. But the idea of fasting in Lent, so specifically like the period before Easter, that is started, they start to talk about that in like the fourth century. So we're talking, you know, a couple of hundred years after Jesus that we start to see sort of a a clearly defined period of fasting in the spring before Easter. So it starts to develop um, a little bit later. I mean, this is still early Christianity, but not like right from the very first uh, Christians. So yeah, that's kind of the the history of Lent uh, and the idea of of giving things up, of fasting. I think once Christianity became um, mainstream, right, which started to happen with Constantine, Christianity becoming the religion of the Roman Empire, and then being the dominant religion in Europe uh, for the next, like, 1500 years. It, I mean, it, it was pretty much assumed that everyone was Christian, and therefore everyone was observing Lent, and therefore everyone was fasting. And so those things became kind of culturally ingrained that, you know, during this season, of course you're not going to eat meat, right? Uh, Of course you're not going to, you know, indulge in certain luxuries because that was just sort of the the dominant culture, and there would have been very few exceptions. Of course we know there were Jewish people living in Europe, so like not literally everyone was observing Lent, but that was sort of the dominant culture and expectation uh, at the time. Yeah, I mean, if you you think about ancient Europe, you think medieval Europe. I mean, you think everybody going to the church and then being scared about witches and vampires, but that's a whole different thing. Slightly off topic, yeah. Sorry, yeah, I'm I'm in a mood today. <laughs> One thing that I find interesting, because I I was like, I was a nerdy kid. I'm a nerdy adult. I own it. But I remember at some point in my like younger years, I grew up going to church. We talked about Lent. We talked about it being 40 days. And, and at some point, I looked at a calendar and I counted And there are more than 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter. And I was like, this is bogus. Everybody told me it was 40 days, and it's more than 40 days. And it turns out that younger Jenny was correct, but did not have all the information, which is like a mood. 
Sundays don't count. So in the season of Lent, the period leading up to Easter, it doesn't include the Sundays. So even if you're someone who's like, I'm fasting, I'm giving up soda and chocolate and everything, technically you can have those things on Sunday because Sundays are not part of the 40 days of Lent. They're excluded. Yeah, that was really weird when I, because when I was researching for this episode, I saw that too. And it's like, oh, there's like 46 or because Sundays, I was like, how do you just not count a day? And then what if there's a leap year? Well, and, and that's happening this year. So I haven't checked, but I'm pretty sure because Lent starts this year in February and because this year is a leap year, I think Lent is actually 41 days this year. I think we have extra Lent specifically this year that we would not normally have. So you can feel really righteous that you are going to fast a day longer than Jesus did because they hadn't invented leap years at the time of Jesus. What a weird ass system we have. Every four uh, years, we'll just add a day. Well, it's because the Earth's uh, transit around the sun does not fit perfectly into 365 days. I know. I think we just need to change it then. We just need to... You want to change the Earth's Well, no, the not Earth's, the Earth, because uh, the Earth, then we die. <laughs> I get how this works. <laughs> we just need a new system of counting. Let's just get rid of math. Oh, okay. All that. We'll just start over from the beginning. Okay. Okay, let me know how that works out for you. Eat shit, Pythagoras. You still bother me <laughs> all these years later. <laughs> it's not really Pythagoras's fault. You're going to have to take it up with some different ancient mathematicians. That's fair. I will tell them my thoughts, too. Also, don't, don't even get me started on this, Josh, because I literally studied Ptolemaic astronomy in college, which is like the old-ass astronomy where the sun goes around the Earth. So, like, don't even get me off on that tangent. Between that and your Ecclesiastes <laughs> thesis, <laughs> I just... I wrote a paper in college about how doing geometry is good for your soul. Josh just gave me the most disgusted look. I know our viewers will not see this, but wow. You give me basic math. Like, yeah, makes sense. You start getting into, like, mixing letters and numbers like that's not okay i know letter kenny had a whole bit on <laughs> we'll talk about it after we'll talk about it after we're done recording fair enough so 46 days sometimes 47 if you yes february's broken that year and so you know if you are like a hardcore like liturgy nerd in the lutheran church every sunday has like a name so you know, for example, we have Easter Sunday. Everybody knows Easter Sunday. We have Pentecost, which is a specific day in the year. But the days that aren't like major festivals are usually um, described by what season they're in. So right now in the church, because this is not quite Lent, we're in the season after Epiphany. Epiphany is on January 6th. And so the Sundays between then and Ash Wednesday, it's like, this is the first Sunday after Epiphany. This is the second Sunday after Epiphany. This is the third Sunday after Epiphany. And then you have like seasons. So there's a season of Easter where Easter actually lasts 50 days. So Easter gets, gets one up on Lent. Lent is shorter than Easter. But with the season of Easter, you have Easter Sunday, which is the big one. 
But then you have the second Sunday of Easter because the season is ongoing. And then the third Sunday of Easter and then the fourth Sunday of Easter. And um, because the season lasts for more than one one day. But in Lent, you do not have Sundays of Lent. You have Sundays in Lent because those Sundays are not actually part of the season of Lent. They're like these little islands in the in the Lenten period um, where Sundays are sort of exempted from the fasting and sadness and melancholy of Lent. Um, so even if you are giving something up, go hog wild on Sundays. Sundays are the day of the resurrection. So like, enjoy life. Views on this podcast are specifically for Josh and Jenny. <laughs> um, don't use this on your religious standing with your priests, pastors, bishops, or even if you're at judgment itself. Listen. This is just our opinion. Listen, you send your pastor to me <laughs> if they give you guff about eating chocolate on Sundays. We we talked a little bit about Ash Wednesday, and Ash Wednesday is also kind of a, a unique little moment. It is the start of Lent, but Ash Wednesday is also this moment that particularly talks about, like, mortality. And so I did want to just sort of have a moment to, like, give Ash Wednesday its due. Aside from the weirdness of, like, we read this story where Jesus is like, don't show off your faith. And then we put ashes on people's foreheads. So then everyone looks at them in the grocery store and is like, you have something on your forehead. The, the idea of, first of all, putting ashes on your head, you can absolutely trace that back to the Hebrew Bible. It is a sign of repentance. It's a sign of like humility and sort of making yourself humble. But then also, at least in, you know, in the Lutheran tradition, and I think we share this with the Episcopal Church and the Catholic Church, you know, when we do the imposition of ashes, when the pastor or the priest puts the ash on your forehead, they say something to the effect of, you know, remember that you are dust and to dust you will return. And so it's this reminder of our own limits of our own mortality, which for sure can be very somber, right? Like it can definitely be kind of a downer of a message. But I will say, you know, there's something beautiful in it as well. Because on the one hand, when we say like, remember that you are dust, we're referring back to Genesis, where God made the first people out of dirt, and if God could make the first people out of dirt, then like, what can God do with us, right? So there's kind of inherent possibility in that of like, yeah, God can make life come out of something that is lifeless. And there's also just something really kind of poignant about it because we live in a culture that really tries to deny the existence of death. Like we just don't want to acknowledge it. We spend a lot of time and money like, altering our bodies so it doesn't look like we're aging because like we don't want to think about aging and death and we we put our dead in like cemeteries that are kind of like out of the way where we don't have to see them or don't have to think about them this is especially true in southern california because you don't have churches that have like cemeteries attached the way you do in some parts of the country but there's there's something really poignant about being reminded of our own 
uh, mortality and our own limitations. And I, I mean, a chill kind of goes through me every year if I put the ashes on the forehead of a young kid and I'm like, remember, you are dust. There is something really kind of terrifying and powerful and sacred about all of that. And then the very next person is I'm putting ashes on the forehead of someone who's 96 years old and I know they have cancer, right? And it's like all of our human experience is kind of encompassed in that moment of saying like, yeah, we're temporary and also God is not. And so I, I like Ash Wednesday because it really brings all of that stuff into focus in like a pretty profound way. Yeah, it's just... I don't know. It's kind of a spiritual gut punch and a mm-hmm. mental gut punch. Like That's a good description. Yeah. I don't like thinking about that. Spiritual gut punch. I don't like it. And that is why I have chosen to be isekai'd and... <laughs> Josh is just like, I'm going to be immortal. Yep. That's what I've decided. Have fun dealing with your problems, mortals. <laughs> Josh, I know. everybody dies. Chuck Coons on its way. That is a very nerdy reference. Yeah, don't go there. That's so... That is like such a shift in tone. Yeah, that is that is an anime reference as a joke to try to lighten the mood because I don't like thinking about mortality. It scares the shit out of me. Well, and this is why, like, as a pastor, I'm like, yes, we have to think about mortality because who else is going to say it if not clergy? You know, if not the church, you know, like the plastic surgery industry is like, yeah, yeah, you can live forever. We'll just inject enough Botox into you. Don't worry about it. I mean, in all fairness, all healthcare is, is not saving lives. It's prolonging lives. There, there is a uh, real value in that, right? In like addressing diseases and ailments and injuries uh, that, you know, our ancestors might've not been able to address. And also, I think every doctor, every medical professional knows that they are playing a losing game because everybody dies. Mm-hmm. That's what Lent's about. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. We all sin. Be sad. And, and reflective. Lent ends at Easter. And Easter says, yeah, everybody dies. And then God does wild stuff. Right. <laughs> important you need both like we need both parts of that message yeah it's it makes it understandable for people makes it relatable um so jenny where where do the ashes come from i know this answer because of google but (laughs) where are traditionally i know not everybody does this not every church probably okay so the traditional answer is that if your church um has palm branches on palm sunday Right. And maybe everybody gets them at the start of the service and you wave your palm branches. They're decorating the sanctuary. Those palms are saved and they're dried out and they sit in a cupboard somewhere for like 11 months. And then those palm leaves are ground down to be burned and ground down to become the ashes for Ash Wednesday. So that is the tradition. And I know many, many pastors who, like, personally do this practice. They keep the palms, they dry them out, they, you know, set up their, like, let's not burn down the church fire system, 
and they burn their palms and grind them into ash for Ash Wednesday. The 21st century answer to that question is that the ashes come from a church supply company and you order them on the internet, which, full disclosure, is what I have done. Huh. I think they still use palms, but I don't actually know because I have not, like, quality checked them. I would really hope so. Like, yeah, here, like with the communion wafers, too. Like, no, 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 this is this is unleavened. Like, it's it's okay. Right. I will say, though, in case anybody's like, that's cool. I want to do that. Here's the important thing to know. If you mix ash any kind of wood ash, right? Plants, branches, leaves, whatever. If you mix wood ash with water, do you know what you get, Josh? A mess? Well, yes, but specifically you get lye. And if you put lye on people's foreheads, it will give them chemical burns because lye is a caustic substance. Hmm. Do not mix your ashes with water. What you want to do is you want to mix your ashes with oil. And traditionally, it's olive oil. You need a very, very tiny amount of it, because otherwise you're just going to have, like, ashy soup that, like, runs down people's foreheads, and it's really unpleasant. Um, But, yeah, don't use water. So that's my PSA. If you're going to make your own ashes, do not mix them with water. Does it need to be extra virgin olive oil, or is it just regular fine? It, It does not have to be. God does not care. Is it? (laughs) Fair enough. So, I guess... Man, maybe I shouldn't drink so much during these. (laughs) So, the significance of olive oil, I'm assuming it's because, you know, we date back to the Middle East with our religion that's able to grow there. Yeah. It is a Mediterranean crop, right? And so I think any time the Bible talks about oil, like if you are using oil for anointing or you're using oil as a sacrifice or whatever, it's probably olive oil because that is just the part of the world that Judaism and Christianity came out of. So again, you know, there can be significance in that, right? There there are places where they say, you know, we're going to use not only olive oil, but we're going to use olive oil from Palestine to like make that connection back to the place where Jesus lived. But in in like a theological like big picture sense, it does not matter. Like it matters, but it doesn't matter if that makes sense. God doesn't mind if you use a different kind of oil. So there can be significance to it, but also it's okay if there's not. Makes sense. Kind of um, relating to like baptism, it can be tap water as long as it's blessed. It doesn't need to be. This comes from, you know, the Red Sea or what. It's just, it still does. It's, yeah. It serves the purpose. Absolutely. It, so hopefully our listeners are now like fully equipped for the season of Lent. Um, I will just also point out that one of my seminary professors every year said he was giving up Lent for Lent. And if that's how you want to go about it, if you're just like, that is not for me, more power to you. Yeah, if it's going to make you miserable and almost push you away from spiritualism and all that, like, maybe it's not the year to give up coffee or sweets. Just give up Lent for Lent. Well, Jenny, anything to add before we wrap this up? I think think I'm good. I think I talked enough. Well, thank you so much for leading us today. That was 
a lot of information that I didn't know or quite understand because it's one of those phrases or one of those seasons during the church year that we just hear about but don't actually necessarily always get that deep dive and understanding of, okay, why? What's the purpose? What is the history? So thank you so much for that today. Thank you, Josh. Anytime. If our, any of our listeners have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, or show ideas, our email is in the description below where you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want to thank everyone for listening. And if you don't listen to this before Valentine's Day, have a great Lent. Yeah. Be strong. Be reflectful. Take your date to church. Thanks for listening to A Reverend Bible Talk. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.